everyone. Welcome back to Hey Look Listen. I'm Liam Sheehan and I'm joined here by Jonathan Morrissey and Owen Arirden. And guys, I am incredibly excited for today's episode because I've been waiting for this one. It's no secret. Um, we're doing it on the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Um, but before we get onto, onto that, um, how are you guys doing? How is sunny Canada? It's it's great. It's uh, There's not as much snow as it used to be. Uh, it's eight degrees. Yeah. So when you say sunny that means sunny here and he's very very right um i think it's it's pretty nice in toronto as well yeah it's super weird last night um the government opened up outdoor dining in the middle of the night so as of like today they didn't give anyone any notice and they were like patio patio season is open go enjoy the the nice weather it was super weird ireland seems to be very far away from that but we won't dwell on that um it's been a couple of weeks since I've chatted to you. Are you playing anything? Are you, Marcy, are you still playing your same game, Divinity? Or you, have you moved on? <laughs> I have I have moved on to something I was already playing. Um, no, I've been still playing a bit of Divinity. It's starting to wrap it up now. I played a lot of Orcarina, which we'll, we'll get into. Um, but actually, inspired by one of our older episodes, um, I picked up uh, a football manager save, which means everything else in my life has now shut down. Um, <laughs> I stopped exercising, looking after myself. <laughs> Um, actually marcy yeah, so we're that, connected on apple watch and i do see you it's like every two hours oh marcy God. just has to go for a walk and i'm i assumed he was I playing do. football manager actually yeah it's so voyeuristic i don't like that <laughs> so yeah that, that's what i'm that's what i'm playing right now yeah yeah i'm uh anyone, anyone who has a playstation plus subscription uh final fantasy 7 remake is actually the one of the games of the month so you can download that for free um, so I highly recommend it. I'm 26 and a half hours true. I'm on chapter 16. Uh, you have a lot to say. Uh, Liam and I actually haven't sat down and had a conversation yet about the game. I'm really looking forward to doing that. I have, yeah, I have a lot to say. I have a lot of opinions, but I would say, I would oh, say. Why do we save it for a podcast? Yeah, why not? <laughs> but overall, uh, very good. I, I'm enjoying it. They did a, a really good job and I have no idea how they're, they're going to do the rest of uh, that game as a remake. Yeah, I know it's. It, I know. <laughs> I, I even though it's, it's it's extremely good, I still don't trust Square Enix to um to pull off this whole yeah. thing. And actually, Marcy, exactly I know that you're right. turned off or were turned off in the early days with you know JRPGs and and turn based combat. I was. And this is really nice and also really weird. But I was thinking a lot of you while I was playing the game, um, only for the fact that it's a really good way to experience the majority of the story of, of Final Fantasy, but really, you know, at its core, it's much more of an action hack and, shla- hack and slash than a turn-based game. Mm-hmm. But there's an element of strategy yeah. there um, that's still super integral to the battle system. Um, but I think it is definitely like a really good uh, jumping in point for you. Yeah, that's a good show because I have been thinking about that and you own. Thanks, um, bud. No, con- no context. So I've been on your, on your two slumber have- walks. Yeah, those they're long walks. Um, but I, we can, I presume we're going to do a podcast, right, in Final Fantasy at some point. So I'm still kind of torn. Do I go back to the original seven and experience it like that in kind of the purest way, or do I pick up the remake? So yeah, I'd be very interested that. to hear the point of view from someone who actually hasn't played the original, because I think a lot of what makes it special is the fact that you're revisiting these areas that are fully lived in now. And I don't know if that necessarily the gameplay design and uh, level design would hold up to someone who hasn't played the original. 
Um, but for, for but for me, then it's like the nostalgia feeling is so overpowering and seeing it so built out. Um, but yeah, I, I'd recommend you you like if you have a PlayStation Plus, you just get the game anyway. So you get it for like eleven bucks right now, yeah. So okay, that's probably worth it then, yeah. Yeah, I won't um, dwell on it for too long, but I played a very mad Japanese interesting game called Genosha for the Switch. I think it's pronounced Nosha or Genosha. I'm not sure. Could have a silent G. Um, the sound bite that's been thrown around for it is that it's uh, the, have you uh, either of you played Among Us? The, the yes. sensation that is Among Us. Yeah. And you know the, the the meetings, like the debates yeah. that you have with the other people you're playing with. The sound bite thrown around for this game that it's a single player version of the Among Us debates. You're on a derelict ship with a bunch of wacky anime characters. One or more of them are Genosha, which are things present pretending to be humans, and you basically have to suss out which one is the imposter, so to speak, and uh, put them into cold sleep. It's very like anime the thing. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Ooh. Yeah, that's a great way to sell, <laughs> sell a game. Is it multiplayer? It, it was no. It's not multiplayer. It's a complete single player experience, and like I, I, it's no masterpiece, but I, I really enjoyed it. The kind of other kind of wrinkle with it is that it has a Groundhog Day time loop. You're living the same day over and over again, and each day, the Genosha, the imposters, changes, as does everyone else's role on the ship, and you have to do the debates over and over again. Um, sometimes you can be the imposter, and you have to actually get away with it rather than sussing out who the, who the evil How person is. How did you come across this, Liam? I really enjoyed it. Uh, uh, a Nintendo Direct, actually. Um, there a few months, about six months ago, it was on one of the Nintendo Directs, and I was like, that looks really interesting, and I actually kept my eye out for it. Completely forgot about it, but then... I saw it come up on the um, Switch store, and I was like, I remember this. Only you, um, bud. Only um, you. Yeah, like I said, yeah, <laughs> like I said, I want to dwell on it, but what's really cool about it is that you have to, you know, you have to chat with these anime characters, and you do have stats, like, you can you can get your charm up, you can get your kind of, um, your intuition, and that gives you new skills, but a main part of the game as well is getting to know these characters, and when the game really clicks is in the second half, when I could just tell that people were lying or not lying just because I kind of knew who they were by this point. And I think that's um, that's very cool. That's a very kind of, it's not a perfect game. It's no masterpiece, but uh, when it all clicks together, I found it very interesting. If anyone's looking for anything weird in anime and on the Switch, perfect handheld game. Awesome. I'll check that out. Uh, go for Genosha. Yeah. yeah. Is there uh, is there any particular reason why you didn't play Football Manager again? Um, do you know what? I do have one. But actually, before I answer this question, is Football Manager available on consoles? It's a, so yes, it is. I own, fo- there's a version called Football Manager Touch. That is available on Switch. Yeah, and Xbox oh, as well now, I think. Then I have no <laughs> excuse. My excuse would be like in my cur- in my current setup, I just I'm not set up to play PC games at the moment. I'm all over the place in that regard. So I had that ready. But now no, I have no excuse. Um <laughs> maybe maybe on a later episode I'll surprise you. It's like, oh, you thought we were going to talk about um Final Fantasy VII remake? No, it's Football Manager Part Two. <laughs> it's another hour of Football Manager. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my review. I thought it was good. <laughs> anyway lads when we when we get to the the, the main Legion event here, um today's game yeah yeah today's game as i said is uh legend of zelda operator of time and before we have the chats about it um i got some data about it um ocarina of time is the fifth game i didn't write this down <laughs> it's the fifth game in the legend of zelda series it came out in 1998 for the nintendo 64 it was the first one to be Fully 3D. It came out as well on the GameCube and Wii Virtual Store and the Wii U Virtual Store, but it was remade in its entirety for the Nintendo 3DS in 2011. Um, I went back to IGN um, and found a review from Pierre Schneider, 
1998. And he said, a breakthrough title from Nintendo that deserves all the hype and praise it's gotten. If you're a game, if you're making games and you haven't played this game, then you're like a director who has never seen Citizen Kane or a musician who has never heard of Mozart. Come on. How dramatic is that? Jesus. <laughs> Snyder got carried away there, didn't he? <laughs> I, it wasn't even the final blur by I found it in the middle of the review and I'm like, I'm taking that. That'll go in this, that's his little sound bite I'm going to give him. And I actually found, um, for some reason, CBR.com reviewed it in 2020. It was the most um, it was the most up-to-date review that I could find that wasn't just someone on Metacritic or, so- Metacritic or something. And uh, they said, uh, no matter how advanced modern-day graphics may get and how dated the polygonal aesthetic becomes, the wonderful game Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time still has a lot to offer in 2020. Revi- revisiting the game now proves that its excellence isn't just nostalgia. So the thing about Ocarina of Time for me is, like, I was excited to do this episode because I, I almost just want to entirely gush about it. But I kind of realized, you know, shower thoughts, that I'm almost too close to this one because it's the game, out of all the games ever made, it's the game I've played and replayed the most. I think I've at least played it once since 1998 every year, once every year. Uh, wow. just it's, to, in its entirety, yeah. like you played full yeah. once every year. Wow. At least, and and when I was younger, I've definitely done it multiple times in a year. I've talked in previous episodes about the negativity of kind of using <laughs> games, like replaying old games. Goes ah, you know, I just want I, was, I just want comfort food, but I don't know. I, I I've I always love going back to Ocarina of Time. Um, it's one of my favorite. It's not even my favorite game in the Zelda series. It's not my favorite game of all time or anything like that. But it is the one I've played the most. I adore it. But for this episode, ye both actually downloaded it again. Oh, let right. me tell you that process. <laughs> Whoa. <Go> on. <laughs> so like it wouldn't have been an issue if i was still living in ireland right so i don't have access to uh my 3ds i don't have access to a 2ds i don't have access to my gamecube i don't have access to my nintendo 64 but i did have access to my wii u and you as you said are able to purchase it through the virtual console so what happened was you know, we said we were doing this episode. I thought, great, I'll hunt down. It was actually, my Wii U was in my old apartment and I actually kind of left it there for, for the person to use it. So I, I got in touch. I was like, can I just take my Wii U back? Great, I picked it up. Very, very dusty. Guess what? I actually found a copy of Jurassic Park in the Wii U. What's even funnier is that the <laughs> Wii U doesn't have a DVD drive. So, <laughs> so what kind of den of treachery did your apartment become? I have no idea. Uh, but now I have a free copy of Jurassic <laughs> Park on DVD. So that's a bonus. <laughs> so Sweet obviously, so I lived in New York for a period of time. And when I lived there, I actually purchased um, a secondary Wii U. So a Wii U I had, I gave it to my cousins back in Ireland and I lived in New York and I decided for whatever reason to buy a second Wii U. So during my lifetime, I've owned two Wii U's, which is so strange. The only person yeah, exactly. yeah, that's in like recorded history. No, but dude, if I had kept of one of those sales. in the box, you know, only like 25 million of them were actually produced worldwide. Yeah, you know, yeah. those things are selling for an incredible amount of money right now. So the Nintendo account that I had was obviously linked to you know old um old data that i had an old um nintendo account that i had switched since the switch days so the account was tied to an american um region and i couldn't switch it so i would go to buy ocarina of time i would 
put in my credit card details and it wouldn't actually take it because the zip code that I could put in was only for the States and I couldn't switch it to Canada, which again touches on the point of how archaic Nintendo's entire system is. So essentially it was pretty easy to rectify the problem in that, you know, I just added a new account, but it took me so long to actually try and switch it. it wouldn't work. Granted, there was a pretty easy solution. Um, but yes, I eventually got my hands on what is the N64, um, you know, I suppose port emulation. Nintendo loves to emulate yeah. their games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm playing and was playing the original version. And Marcy, I know you were playing the updated version. Yeah, my story is a little bit shorter. I just took my 3DS out of a drawer and the Zelda cartridge was still in it. So I just turned it on and you took out Jurassic Park. (laughs) You took out the Jurassic Park DVD. Um, I love the fact I love the fact that they put it in the Wii U. It didn't play and they went, Well fuck it, I'll just leave it there. I just never (laughs) took it out. (laughs) Unbelievable. Um, yeah, I um I have played the original on the N64, but like oh my N64 is back in Ireland, didn't have access to it. Um, my dad tried to sell it a couple of years ago, but no one wanted to buy it, so he just put it in the attic. Um, so hopefully the games are still there. Um, but it, it was, we'll get into it later, but it was really interesting to me to play the 3DS version because I'd actually never started it. I'd bought oh, it cool. for the 3DS and never started it. It was still in, still in it, it was, so it was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so I, I, my view of the game and probably a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today it will be kind of more towards that, that remastered version. Can I just ask, before you you both got it again, when was the last time either of you played this game? Are we going back to, like, the 90s? It's a very good question. It is definitely, like, it's definitely the Zelda that I have revisited the least, for sure. So, yeah, Same. yeah really? definitely. Yeah. So I would say Same. N64 90s, potentially. Maybe early 2000s. Yeah, I, I have the most vivid memory I have of, I actually wasn't even playing, it was being at a friend's house, um watching him try to beat Ganondorf at the end and that was his birthday and it was like 1999 so a very long time ago actually it's a lie because i just remembered that i I got the master quest version of ocarina time with the gamecube release of wind waker i thought you were calling me a liar (laughs) (laughs) that's my memory you weren't you weren't there i don't own your memories no john yeah Marcy, when we were recording the Metal Gear Solid episode, we saw Ocarina of Time <laughs> playing in the background on pause. Oh, God. <laughs> so that's very interesting to me that I don't have, I, like, I don't really have nostalgia for it anymore. I, it's it's basically just like a, an old friend who's like never left my side. When both of you, I'll, I'll start with Owen because you were playing the N64 version. When you booted it up, and it's like, I love the N64 era, don't get me wrong, but let's be honest, kind of a, a, tra- tradi- a transitional period for graphics and games. They were, they were sorting a lot of things out, you know, this, it was the, the advent of 3D. So when you first booted up Ocarina of Time and started again, and you're running around Kokiri Forest in the Deku Tree, how did it feel? Well, can I, before I get into that, I do want to touch upon something that it's something that I touch upon in our Mario 64 episode. And I think it would be unfair to jump into that initial start of the game before I, I talk about this is the one thing that struck me upon booting it up. And I think it's a bit of a lost art is the title screen. And 
it's yeah. amazing. So, it's you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. we, I spoke about the Mario 64 one where, you know, it was almost like a bit of a sandbox where you were able to play with Mario's face and, you know, tug his hat and tug his cheeks and all that kind of stuff. And it really set up what the atmosphere was for that game and that experience that you were going to have. And even now, when I booted up the N64 version, you know, polygons aside, undoubtedly there was this, it was this beautiful ambience of, uh, you know, the, the, the opening credits is Link riding Epona through uh, Hyrule Field, um, true like true dusk, and it's just this beautiful music, and it really gives you a sense of like this adventure that you're going to go on, and it it really actually struck me by surprise how resonant it was even now. Um, you know, maybe it's because I have a bit more perspective on on what the game is and have a bit more appreciation for it than than what age I would have been when I played it initially. But it really, like, you know, if I had got that with, like, a Skyrim or, like, you know, um, a Mass Effect or an Elder Scrolls, like, nothing nothing really compares to it right now. You know, it's press start, new game, whatever. But, like, you, my God, I just I couldn't believe how absolutely beautiful it was and, and tone setting it was. And even yeah, that noise because of pressing enter, so I continue, you know, the, the yeah. yeah, it's such a familiar, I can hear it in my head, such a familiar noise, yeah. Because it's Nintendo as well, and it's on the N64, which these days seems very toy-like, you kind of expect them to go bigger, like, you know, big, you know, Zelda theme, you know, adventure, high adventure, and it, yeah, like you said, it starts out very kind of almost mournful, I would say, almost. It's a very interesting way to start, I, I love that you said that, because, um, because I've played the game so many times, that's something I haven't thought about yeah. in years. Because I just started. Okay, yeah. And I, 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 you know, I think it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a lost art. And I think like Nintendo just do things a lot better than you know other games companies. Um, and I think during that N sixty four era, um, they the title screens was just you know something of a bit of a showcase. Um, and I and I think it really was setting the tone, um, for what you were about to enter and. And as Marcy said, even from pressing start, and you hear the you know the classic as uh, you know Zelda theme of um, entering your name <laughs> and then open opening in Ko- uh, Kokiri um, Forest, um, it it was different yet the same, um, which was straight away it's a sense of adventure um, from you know essentially like. I think it's a deco tree who like essentially kicks off the game with Navi to go and navigate through the forest to try and find the boy without a fairy. Um, it is just so mm-hmm. beautiful in first person. It's just, and, fl- and flying through everything and just seeing uh, this land that, yeah, granted it's not very beautiful now, um, but it still gives off an atmosphere that it was, it was just probably so evolutionary for its time that it would be underappreciated now. And do you know how it looks even better in 2011? 3D. <laughs> Did you, I forgot that the game that, is in that, 3D for the 3DS. Very little irony with that. I agree with everything you've just said, Owen, because I love that cinematic starting. It's amazing. And like I can't remember experiencing that when I was younger. Um, but the 3D, we can get into that again later, it actually it does it does complement it. It does make it kind of even better. Like this it's it's not a game obviously wasn't made for 3D, but even the bits of it, Navi kind of going through the fence and stuff. I was like, oh, I was giggling. I'm 32. I was giggling um, playing my 3DS. It's one thing we kind of forget about the 3DS is that, like, yeah, they were, it was right in the era of 3D films. They were trying to capitalize on that trend. 
I do remember playing Ocarina of Time on the 3DS and playing it with 3D on the entire time. And I think it's one of the few games that I played on the 3DS. In fact, I don't even own a 3DS that has, uh, you know, I own a 2DS. I don't have one that has 3D capability anymore. Uh, well, it was never that important to me, but I'll always remember like t- keeping it on the whole time for Ocarina of Time. Well, I think, Same. you know, I think it also works. The 3D effect works quite well when you have the 3D characters against the, you know, 2D backgrounds. Well, they're not necessarily 2D, but they're, um, I forget the word, they're like pre-animated essentially. Um, and I think it works. It definitely makes a pop. So we, we've often talked about storytelling in games on this podcast and games with great stories and something that the three of us love. I would say Ocarina of Time and Zelda as a whole, despite what you may think, aren't really story-driven and don't have, you know, classically fantastic stories. How did you find, what did you find was propelling you through the game when you were playing it? Was it was it were you was it the story or did you find the story took a kind of a backseat to other elements? That's a good question. I think again, you know, having played it before, maybe skewed my approach a little bit. For me, the way I played it and the way I went back to it um, was very nostalgia driven. I'll be really honest. Um, you know, from as Owen said, the title screen to the original cinematics to seeing the Deku tree and being reminded how incredibly dark that entire uh, part of the game is. Um, yeah, so the, the story was driving me. Um, it was more kind of wanting to experience all these different areas of the game that I hadn't seen in like 20 years. That's what got me really excited. Like when I first came out to Hyrule, I was just like, oh my God, this I, I've this is crazy. Like I haven't heard this uh this uh, score in so long. Um I haven't, you know, heard stupid Navi uh say fuck, you know, hey look services fuck, sorry. <laughs> say hey, uh, look over here, look listen, that's where we got the name. Um and so it just for me it was I was very driven by nostalgia playing it. Um and at almost every turn, I was really pleasantly surprised about how incredibly well it held up. Um, yeah, but it's kind of like Breath of the Wild as well, right? I think, again, I'm not as much of an expert as, as Zelda, on Zelda as, as both of you folks would be. But, yeah, I, I don't play the Zelda games or many Nintendo games um, for their story, generally for their kind of gameplay curiosity and kind of experience. Yeah, I think you, t- you touched on two things there, Marcy, that like definitely you know stand out for me. Uh, one of them is the DNA, uh, potentially, of of what Breath of the Wild became in terms of its exploration. Uh, because one of the things that struck me was how, and you know, I do this with inverted commas, how empty the world of Hyrule is in the N64 version, um, or just in, sorry, the Ocarina of Time version. I don't know and I don't remember if I thought it was empty when I was younger, right? But at the same time, it might be empty, but it's still brimming with secrets, which is something that I think really carried on into to Breath of the Wild. Like it's vast and it appears empty, but it's actually purposely not. You know what I mean? I you know I don't necessarily play the you know Zelda series for its stories either, but what I found about playing and as far as I got, you know, I got to like the Fire Temple just before the Water Temple, I think. Um, was how thematically mature it was. Um, not necessarily from the, like, again, right, it wasn't the story, but the what it was saying in terms of growing up um, and having to, you know, deal with the fears and having to deal with the fear of actually um, aging and letting go of, of your, you know, adolescence. 
um, was actually quite powerful and definitely something that I didn't necessarily, well, I definitely didn't pick it up when I was, you know, played it originally. Um, but I just thought that was super engaging this time around. Just in case um, anyone listening doesn't know, um, Ocarina of Time has, it, it's a, it's like Zelda, it's, it's a classic kind of travel to different parts of the world and collect trinkets, you know, rescue the princess. But the main mechanic is there's a seven year time skip in the middle of it where Link is sealed um, in, a, in a chamber of sages for, for seven years. And then there's a, a child Link and an adult Link. So exactly on the kind of theme of the game is about kind of about growing up about responsibilities, I would say. And it, it because Zelda games are so simple in their plot lines, I think that's all it takes to make it actually make it a very good video mm-hmm. game story. It's so simple, but it all, like, all ties together so naturally. What I always love about um, Zelda games, and I think Ocarina of Time is one of the best, is like it may not, it might have a simple story, but what's much more important is the locations you go to, the characters you meet, just the, the general kind of wanting to be in it. I think that's one of the main reasons why I returned to Zelda games so much. Is like games, modern games can be huge and they could be like just expansive open worlds and they could be full of NPCs and they could be full of just detail. And that's great. I'm not poo pooing that shit. But what I like about <laughs> what I like about Ocarina of Time is that it's not massive, but it's like full of personality. Uh, do you know what I was? It's I was actually of, like, shocked great... of how impressed I was, and I'm sure we'll get on to you know again the polygon count and the graphics and you know the evolutionary 3D mm-hmm. leap and then what it was like on the 3DS. But my God, I was still really impressed with the livelihood and energy um of the the town outside hyrule castle which you know name is yeah. gone beyond me right now it's called um hyrule okay castle. there we go uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but like what, going into castle that market and, uh, pre-rendered backgrounds is the word or the phrase that i was looking for um but seeing all of those 3d models and there's a lot of them brimming with individuality in Hyrule Castle Town. Yeah. I couldn't actually, this time playing it, I, cu- I actually couldn't get over how good it was and how lived in it did feel. Yeah, I think one of, the neat, one, one of the neat tricks is rather than having, um, you know, in a game you might walk into like a, a store and it'd be like, hello, traveler, I am man selling wares, which is fine. I think I think they put, <laughs> they put a lot of yeah, energy in detail. <laughs> what, what game is that? That was... Um, Tavern Man. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> they put a lot of energy and detail into putting even the tiniest areas, filling them with personality. Like, and not having a boring NPC, having it yeah. be something weird. Well, that's the thing. Almost something every, every person is, to a certain degree, actually fleshed out. And you feel that in, in what they're yeah. saying. You know, and there, there's a surprising amount of. Uh, like deep lore behind each of the characters and and the opportunities you have to you know purchase one thing and then give it to someone else and the effect it has on them and then they'll ask you to do something for this person that's actually um like quite integral to the game and happened like way more than i thought um would happen definitely and then i always found because i was also really shocked at that and what it did was when you do that seven year skip it's actually so sad and it's like, it's actually so jarring when you see how vacant and empty and sad and depressing the world has now become um, because of that, that big shithead uh, Gandorf. So it, it, it does such a good job of kind of giving you this great uh, experience, this great 
environment and lore and then taking it all away from you uh exactly. seven years later it's, it's very it's very interesting it might not have um a very uh, very in-depth story like uh, as in what what your what the plot is but it does it does things that only video games can do i think it's a brilliant shorthand to make that story feel kind of worthwhile to the player is to have the, the market town to be the liveliest place in the game, to be full of color and personality, and it's it's not just um, the NPCs they put into that. I think a lot of goes to the music, and um, oh yeah, even for N sixty four, the sound design. Now you can actually hear Incredible. you know crowds in the background, and a really good way to kind of um, convey kind of the tragedy and the weight of that seven year time skip is the first place you visit as adult link seven years later that is town, that yeah. market town, and it's fucking yeah. de- and it's completely destroyed, and there's literal zombies strolling around in it and that's kind of a way to tell a story that really only a video game can do i would say yeah no i'd i'd wholly agree the like the juxtaposition between going into this you know like cathedral-esque nice and bright you're right the like the lively music is playing people are dancing around the times square or the square the times square <laughs> of the zelda <laughs> universe yeah yeah <laughs> um the um and then coming out and again right it's like those humpies are bloody terrifying like they're actually they're so terrifying. scary. Their their faces just these like empty eye sockets. Oh, they're absolutely terrifying. But I, I love as well. And again, it was just so so nostalgic. I love the transitions in Orcarina. Um, like from you know being in in Hyrule Field, you know suddenly starting to hear that that you know wolf howl and the drawbridge go up and you just kind of make it in. Um, to then kind of moving past the castle or past the little town you mentioned and going towards the castle um, and the music changing again. It just does those transitions so, so well uh, with kind of individual music. I, to me, the biggest thing I took away from the whole thing from playing it so far has been the, the music and sound design. It's just next level. Yeah, it, it's definitely like realizing the tools they had at the time. Like this was a revolutionary game graphically when it came out. But I think the things that make the best games from that time like age so well is exactly it's it's the things that are that aren't the graphics it's the atmosphere it's the music and i think it kind of looks janky to me now ocarina of time um but there's still a sense of atmosphere the fire temple feels like it's in the middle of a volcano you know the, the water temple feels like it's this ancient place you know that's been submerged in water and it's not really done by the graphics it's done by all the kind of other elements holding it up well it has a super interesting um development story you know, so after links to the past, they were wondering, okay, you know, we're, we're going to be having a 3D console uh, post SNES era. How do you translate um, the a Zelda game into into 3D? And apparently, like Miyamoto and and um, these guys had absolutely no idea. So they had like years of prototyping. At uh, one stage, what they wanted to try and do was. Um, have all of the battles in first person and then you'd have your exploration in essentially like a 2d environment mm-hmm. so it was kind of going to be a mix but they thought that i think it was that they thought there'd be like a real disconnect from what it was meant to be which was a full 3d um kind of adventure yeah yeah, yeah um yeah. and I, I i remember it's like uh, i was looking at all these old space world videos of when they were like first showing off the game and i remember like reporters were saying that they actually didn't think the game was real because the graphics for the time were so revolutionary. And what they were showcasing was literal just snippets on prototypes that they have, but they didn't actually have a game. So 
the story goes essentially that they were they they went on this you know excursion and they went to this samurai museum and one of the things that Miyamoto wanted I believe was uh, this Japanese martial arts style called uh, Chonboro I believe and he wanted that to uh, essentially be the fighting style of Link in the game um, and one of the ways that they were going to implement that. And it's something that you would not think about how revolutionary and influential it is now was the Z targeting system. So on the back of the GameCube controller, it's essentially locking on. You press Z, N64, sorry, um, pressing the, the Z button to lock on to a target, which had like never, ever been done before. And apparently when they... It's so taken yeah, for granted. Unbelievably yeah. so. So when they had that figured out, they actually had the core mechanic of how to fight figured out. And apparently the time frame after that for putting the story together, they built everything around that mechanic because they just couldn't figure out the fighting. But when they had the fighting figured out and they had that mechanic figured out, apparently like everything else came uh, together really, really fast. And it took that of figuring that out to put everything together. How, how did you think it, it held up on? Uh, the 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 combat i know that we don't really talk about that much in, in our podcast like actual like combat mechanics yeah, or anything like that no, but it was I, it was, I was surprisingly it surprisingly it held up quite well and it's actually it's funny right because i compared it to final fantasy 7 which i spoke about at the top of the show and it's a bit of a hack and slash and one of the uh, gameplay mechanics in your fighting system in Final Fantasy VII is lock on and switch targets and then rapidly press a certain button to attack. And it's literally just a more evolved version of of what is in um, Ocarina of Time. But what caught me by surprise was just how incredibly cinematic the fighting was. Mm. You know, you lock on and the aspect ratio changes into essentially Mm -hmm. action mode. And then yeah. and the music exactly. in. again using the music, music again, yeah. The sound design compensates. that so I can hear it in my head. I'm not in any way going to try and replicate it on this podcast. <laughs> but right then now. but then mm-hmm. taking it to the next levels, right? You 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 enter this action mode, uh, you know you're in a fight sequence, but then working with the tools to add a variety of attack moves with you know somewhat of uh, limited button range was kind of outstanding. You know, from backflips to forward flips with slash to side slashes, you know, there's a real you can actually really master that system that totally helps in in terms of progressing later on in the game and how to actually fight bosses. Yeah, you, you tilt the analog stick in left or right or and he, he thrusts it or he swings in that direction, you stick it forward, he thrusts. It was kind of for me anyway, I'd never played anything like it. I think actually one of the keys to the combat in that game, and I, I mean this as a compliment. It's kind of all about stopping and starting. If you think about the kind of en- enemies you fight in it, you lock on to them and you almost like wait until they have an opening and you do the same. You kind of have a sh- your shield up until it's time to attack. I think it's like very simple, but the controls are amazing. Uh, what I say where I think it falls down uh, all these years later is whenever they want you to do an actual sword fight. Like there's these enemies kind of called the Stalfos that are kind of swordy boys. And I think it's the only part, and I, I, I say this lovingly, it's the only one, the only part of Rocker in Time for me, I just feel, I think, feels so dated. Because I don't want, I, I didn't want to just gush. I wanted to say something negative. I think you're just kind of swinging wildly and it doesn't feel good. But when, like, the enemies are kind of more deliberately designed, mm-hmm. like, you know, when they're, you know, when they do, you wait for them to, until they have their weak point open, then you attack and stuff like that, it feels great. 
I, I think it does a really good job as well when you swap to anything like the slingshot or the the bow. I, I actually was really pleasantly surprised with how it jumped to first person so well, mm-hmm. which then I think I might be wrong here, but I remember reading this over the last week that, and I think you just mentioned as well, Owen, that originally it was going to be a first person game. That was like the original approach. And you can still kind of see the, the remnants of that, which I thought was really cool as well. Well, the, they were trying to think of how to do it in 3D. And um, that's one of the big things about its design is like, if you compare it directly to um, A Link to the Past for the Super Nintendo even then, they were thinking about kind of um, spatial awareness. If you're in a dungeon and a link to the past, you can drop down a hole and sometimes you might land on the floor beneath you. That was a lot more kind of 3D spatial awareness than a lot of 2D games would ask you to consider. So when developing for the N64, I think they, want to have, they wanted to have a lot of verticality. They wanted to have a lot of, you know, places that felt like real and 3D and with different layers and different floors. And I think one of the keys to doing that was to it's very simple now you wouldn't even think of it if you played a game these days but the idea of walking into a room let's talk about the first dungeon the deku tree which is almost kind of like a tutorial for the rest of the game you walk into a room and you have a slingshot and you kill a couple of enemies but the door is locked there's an eye above the door so you have to go into first person and shoot it above the door in 1998 like that was a big deal for you to have to like look up above a door and hit a switch for it to open how it walks you through the mechanics and the world i 100 percent agree with the deco tree um definitely in terms of how to navigate what you're going to be coming uh, against in terms of dungeons but prior to that just uh the walkthrough of how the world works and your basic navigating a 3d world is you know you need to progress by getting your sword and shield in the kokiri village right and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so in order to get your shield, you need to purchase it from the shopkeep. And to get the sword, you need to collect it from like the evil forest. I forget what it is. So you crawl exactly with yeah, that yeah. has the rolling yeah. boulders. Um, and, ge- mm-hmm. and, you know, to make it easier in order to buy the shield, you need to collect the rupees. So scattered around uh, Kokri village, are different obstacles that essentially teach you organically how to navigate this new 3D environment. And you're talking about like, you know, rolling and jumping, climbing ladders, jumping from platform to platform, jumping from roof to roof, um, just to, and then Mm -hmm. with your rupees, you go and buy the shield. Using that shield, then you can navigate further into the forest and learn how to deflect um, obstacle or like, you know, certain attacks from enemies. And and just find enemies. But I, I... and it and it's ten minutes. It's it's so short. It's so well done. You learn so much, and it doesn't That's feel the boring. And at all. it's a big thing when I like I think about I compare it to I compared it to uh, Gears of War or a military shooter where and you know we've Marcy and I have probably played more of these than Julian, but like for whatever reason, it's always okay, soldier. Uh, you gotta run through the training field and give us your best time. Yeah, <laughs> like in every single game. Oh, so. True. Choose exactly. the targets, yeah, crouch, use a and different it's, it, like yeah. It's very much, an, you know, you can skip it if you've played the, the game before, but it's very much an excuse just to learn the mechanics. While I was, you know, playing it this time, blown away how seamless it is to the actual experience. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, I think Nintendo of all companies kind of, they really do that the best with, with their games. I was, to- I was actually totally blown away by that. 
the irony being on just an aside is that you fast forward 10 years after Ocarina of Time and they completely lost track of that. Um, the Legend of Zelda series, um, for me, have some of the worst opening couple of hours in history. And I think they brought it back brilliantly in Breath of the Wild. Just just a, for one second, just to talk about the, the Great Plateau at the beginning of Breath of the Wild, which is like, almost like a three-hour version of Kokri Vars from Ocarina of Time. It just It's the same thing. You, like It's the best way to do it. You feel like... You feel like you're just playing the game, but you're actually being taught, and that's the best way to do a tutorial. That you don't even realize you're mm-hmm. doing one. Saying that, and I think saying I think that, pre- I think Zelda yeah. games are notorious for making you wait a lot after you've learned how to play the game mm-hmm. and you've almost mastered it after playing it for two hours. Um, I don't want to yeah. read paragraphs on paragraphs on paragraphs, and I know this was a big difference, well, Marcy, between my- the N64 version and yeah, the 3DS I was just about version. To say. <laughs> yeah, Can I say though that fucking owl. I'm not. I'm going to try and swear less in this podcast. But every time I met that owl, I was just infuriated. I was like, "Why can't I skip this? This is this is the the 3ds version. You know, you've had what fucking 12, 13 years of people complaining about this. It's like, nah, we'll just leave it. Just let him talk. But you know what, though, people remember the owl. A game has the game has character. The owl flies up and he teaches you a little thing about about that you need to know about the passage of time or whatever, and. Uh, He's actually designed that. He keeps switching up whether he says, do you want to hear that again? Or are you good to go? And you don't know if you have to hit yes or no. And if you hit the well, wrong you one. You hit the wrong one, you get to listen to it again, yes. And I agree, it's it's really annoying. But people remember that from their childhood. It has a ton of personality, so I, I give it a pass. <laughs> one thing is as well that I noticed, and I don't know if it is, you, maybe you can enlighten me here if it's the same as the original, um, was something we talked about with... Uh, the Mario 64 uh, re-release mm-hmm. as well. Um, I was kind of going into to Ocarina and worrying again that uh, the camera was going to be a big issue for me because it really was at Mario 64. It got to a point yeah. where I, it, it frustrated me. Yeah, and again, you know, it, it's still an amazing game, but it really did frustrate me. Um, with Ocarina on the 3DS, there's no issues. It was it's such weird. an intuitive camera. And that I th- game doesn't have camera control. It doesn't have 3D camera no. control. You can just, you can just um, flick it to behind Link's back, but it exactly, works yeah. really well. It does, yeah. And I think on the 3DS, it almost works even a little bit better. Well, maybe not actually, but w- when with the 3DS, you have to hit the touch screen to actually bring up that view, to bring it back. But there was very few times where the camera got me in a position where I was like, okay, I can't see what I need to see or I can't do what I need to do. Um, I don't know. Uh, Owen, I, did you have the same experience with, with, when you were playing Ocarina? Was the, the camera kind of an issue for you or... Or did you find it pretty seamless? It was an issue, but I think it was, you know, it was of its time, right? It was an issue. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, I think it's a problem yeah. of its time. I think it was a case of, you know, we're so used to that second analog stick being that control for the camera that I really wasn't used to. But like after an hour, maybe an hour or two, you know, you learn how to play with the restrictions that you have. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, pressing Z a lot just to, to recenter yourself. Um, but I, but I definitely did feel that you know it, it was a bit of a problem. I wonder is is that a, it's not something they changed for the 3ds version? I don't think. No, but no, yeah, not really. They no. didn't. Yeah, interesting. So um, one thing I want to ask is is uh, one thing I want to talk about is dungeons. Um, I am the happiest gamer, the happiest camper when I'm playing a Legend of Zelda dungeons I've never played before. That is literally my ideal gaming experience. It's my favorite thing to do. 
And I think to this day, Holy. Ocarina of Time has the best dungeons in the entire series. Even like 1998, I don't think they ever topped them. Um, did you have any um, any highlights? Did you enjoy them? Did you find them frustrating? Did they give you headaches? Did you enjoy being lost? <laughs> or did you get lost? Uh, my uh, my answer, I'll go first because my answer is pretty short. I had only just gotten to the fire temple um, around where Owen was. Um I forgot how little Zelda holds your hand a lot of the time, and maybe just older games in general. Um, it's weird. I'm on the exact opposite side of you, Liam. The thing that I dislike, the, the thing I like the least, I should say, sorry, about Ocarina and about Zelda games in general are the dungeons. Um, wow. It's the part, yeah, it's a part I find sometimes. Seething. I'm seething with fury here in Limerick, Ireland. <laughs> he's, actually, he's actually having a nosebleed right now. Um, but... I, and to me, but that's the big thing I discovered was that they just really didn't, and not that I was asking to hold my hand, but it just, I was just confused all the time. Like, what, what am I supposed to do now? Okay, I can't but remember what 20 I, years ago. Yeah, what I would say is I think Ocarina, one way Ocarina of Time has aged is actually in the overworld in terms of um, maybe if you don't know where to go, it's not always the clearest. Um, they give you things you can do. Navi chimes in every now and then. She might, and Navi is your fairy companion. And she might give you some hints. You can call your friend Saria and the Ocarina. She might give you some hints. But I actually think it's always not clear. Like very early on in the game, like very early on, you actually have to run back to Kokri Forest where the game began to learn a new song. Yeah. I don't, don't think it's very clear that it's, you have to do that. No, what happens is so, you've, meet, you've met Princess Zelda and they want you to, you know, go see the Gorons for crack. Like, And then... <laughs> Navi's like I wonder what Sari would think of this we should go back to Kokiri Forest but like mm. you know it it doesn't actually it seems optional and that, that it sounds does, conversational yeah. almost it's yeah. like you know, what, what, what do you think she's up to right now oh I don't know Navi <laughs> haven't really thought about her much because I just fucking met a princess and everything's falling mm. apart yeah the, the, the story's starting um, I, why, why I'm saying that is that's one way I think it's aged but I I just think you have every you have the tools that you need in a dungeon. That's what's great about them. They're essentially puzzles by level design. They're about navigating spaces and figuring them out. And I one of one of my great lamentations of the gaming industry is that like not enough games do it anymore. Like I like that's why I love like Metroid and old Resident Evil games, because you feel like you're kind of navigating spaces and figuring them out as these gigantic puzzles. That's why there's they're such a delight to me. So like I just, I think I think they require patience, and I'm not saying you don't have patience. I'm not I'm putting you on blast here. What are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, like, do better. You know, get over it. No, no. <laughs> get over it. <laughs> Jesus. No, I, I, I get, I get what you're saying, Liam. It's, I just like, I think it goes back to to when I was a kid as well. I think because I did, I'm very you got lost in the dungeon when stopped. he was younger. You see, so. <laughs> I, yeah. I, actually, <laughs> <laughs> In Limerick, got lost in the in the water temple there on Raheem. <laughs> um, but I actually did genuinely. That's one of the reasons I stopped playing was, and it, it, that's a bit of a cliche, but the the water temple as like a mm-hmm. twelve or thirteen year old. Yeah, come on, like you know, yes, as today I probably have a lot more patience, but as a kid I didn't. My attention span was nearly zero, right? So is it is is it the most infamous level in like gaming history? Is it like one of the most hated? Levels like, I think because I'm glad the water temple came. I up, think honest, so. I wanted to talk. I about think it. so. Again, I it's something that playing it on the 3ds 
or later iterations where you have quicker access to your menu makes a lot more sense, right? Because it's very, very arduous going back and forth, pressing start, going in. So essentially, yeah, you know, that, that the, verticality, yeah, that, problem, verticality yeah. that we we talked about for people who don't know, there's a lot of yeah. ups and downs to having to sink yourself in water and then float up again um, between different rooms. But the, the on the N64 version, you have to go into your menu, select, you know, your iron boots, sink, yeah. walk, then select them off and go up. And I think part of, you know, when you look at the design of the water temple, apart from that, um, I think it's just a bit confusing in terms of design. You know, like for me, so I love Zelda's dungeons and it's one of my favorite, it's like a point and click adventure for me where when you figure out the puzzle and you progress, there's that just bittersweet feeling. It is just awesome. And and they, they as Liam said, you have the tools at your disposal. It's your way of thinking. And you will always kick yourself being like, oh, well, I had the slingshot. Why didn't I just do it this way? And sometimes there's actually several ways to actually clear that puzzle as well. Absolutely. Well, I want to, I, I want to do a tiny little segment as a new segment for the podcast that I like to call. Hello, my name is Liam, and the Water Temple is one of the best dungeons in Zelda history, and you need to get over yourself, Zelda fans. Um <laughs> Is that a recurring segment, or is it's it... everyone? I think we're, we're doing we're doing Schindler's List in the next episode. And I'm gonna I, I have I have my Water Temple segment planned for that as well. But what I love about it, I, I I'm going to talk about the Water Temple for less than a minute just All to right, demonstrate I'm, I'm how good how good the design of Ocarina of Time is. Is that it's hugely complicated? Okay, it's you you have, you have to find different parts of the temple to make the water rise and lower and it's it's a bit of a nightmare but you go into that and you find a map and a compass pretty quickly and that's what you do in that's what you do in dungeons Zelda. you find a map that you can use and a compass marks items seconds, on yeah. your map right and in later zelda games that just became like oh we, we're doing that because that's the thing that we do but in ocarina of time it's a huge part of design as soon as you have the map and the compass you have all you need to navigate that dungeon because even if you're confused by where you are and where you need to go you always have a treasure chest to go to. So you could open the map and try to get to a treasure chest you haven't been to yet. You know there's something new there. The rest of it is just spatial awareness and and remembering the environment. And I think it's one of the most rewarding pieces of game design ever made, except for all the reasons Own said. So it's only on the 3DS. (laughs) (laughs) Two points that... The 3DS is definitely better than uh, the the process uh, for the original, but you still have to, it's you still had to you know grab your stylus uh, because I won't touch the touch screen with my fingers. Uh, I'll oh, use the stylus. To, oh, Mars, that's a but nightmare. You, but you even have to then, use your fingers, fingers. T- taking your hand off of it, you know, off of it, holding it differently, uh, it just it doesn't. It works better, but it's still not ideal. Um, but I will, Liam. You, yeah, I, I have to go back in my comments a little bit. My favorite part of Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. were were the beasts, which are basically the game's dungeons, right? You're going into the beast, you're finding the compass, you're getting your map. I absolutely loved that. So it could be just a case of 32-year-old John is a lot more patient than you know 12-year-old John was. Um, but yeah, I, I think Breath of the Wild did it much better, which makes sense. I don't agree. I felt it was... <gasps> no, but that, like... Again, right? I'm with Liam in terms of it's it's one of my favorite parts, and I appreciate the 
the design and how hard it is and you know the level of thinking it, it must take to come up with one dungeon breath of the wild would be probably the greatest game of all time if it had followed some of the zelda conventions for me um i did love the beasts and they were you're correct uh, in saying that it was the the biggest form of a dungeon in that game and then you had your shrines which were like you know maybe just one room in a dungeon and you have 150 of those but you know there was never really a, a sense of progression with those right it was you know what you were getting from them i didn't really care about i did like maybe half of them during my playthrough of breath of the wild if breath of the wild had a eight dungeon structure or you know six or eight dungeon structure with the open world which i hope they do in in breath of the wild a sequel uh, which i imagine they will it would be the perfect game for me oh well, this we're gonna have to i think we'll have to take this <laughs> offline anyway it's gonna work yeah we'll look um, back on that one one thing i really like about ocarina of time actually is it's um it's items and i actually want to talk about one in particular um i actually think it's worth um talking about as its own thing because it was revolutionary at the time um the hook shot which is such an amazing piece of like for puzzle solving and for navigating it's almost like i can imagine insomniac games looking at it before they made spider-man i'll tell you what's you fucking know, revolutionary <laughs> the stick the deku stick or seeds or whatever <laughs> I was going to say the, the the ocarina. I was like, surely that's the. But no, interesting. I, I was going to get to that. I was. I was saving the. Let's talk about how fucking lovely it feels to play an ocarina on a video game. <laughs> Twenty years later, it's still the nicest thing ever, and it's a brilliant game mechanic. You know, I half joke, right? And but go, you know, it is a follow on from Liam's question of what is your favorite dungeon. To be quite honest, mine is probably, and I have the most nostalgic memories about the Deku Tree, um, and one of them actually is using your fucking deco sticks or whatever they were carrying a torch and uh, you know setting a light one of the sticks and then carrying it to another um you know flame spot or taking and burning it or burning webs with it like that was just you know almost unheard of um, yeah there's using a, the environment a, to get along must that must have been a brand new mechanic exactly and, and there's there's one torch there's a part of the deco tree where there's one torch a fire torch where you were to light your deco tree or your deco stick off of so many deco things sorry I'm, and i didn't <laughs> i did not articulate that trees. very well at all <laughs> no there, there's there's one there's a room with one torch uh where you have to burn you have to set your deco stick on fire and burn cobwebs and then you come back to that room later and you need to find a way to use that same fire torch and i think that was one of the seminal gaming moments of my childhood i think that's what unlocked my love for like uh, dungeons it was like i i I agree with you on i think the deco tree is one of the best first levels quote unquote in gaming history and yeah well i always um, remember i always remember it was one of the first bits that of like a game where i got seriously stuck and i didn't know how to progress Mm -hmm. and it's hilarious because it's the it was the leap of faith which was, you know, you're at the top of the Deku tree and, you know, you've gone into every room. You don't know where to go. And there's, you know, a ledge that leads down to the middle of the room. And it comes to the stage where it's like, I have nowhere else to go. I've exhausted all my resources. Um, And there is a spider web in the middle of uh, middle of the floor. And by jumping from a height, you actually break through the web. You know, and and I think that follows through to, to games like Breath of the Wild, which is like, just go fucking crazy. 
Like play with physics because Definitely. we actually take all of that stuff into account. And when we were we were eight or nine when we played it, but imagine being kind of like an older kid or an adult who like grew up on like the older Zeldas. I do think Nintendo purposely put that cop a bit very early in the game to kind of it, it kind of demonstrates how you need to be thinking in 3D now. And what a great single moment to kind of sell the entire idea of a 3D Zelda game or a 3D adventure game in general. You need to go three floors up and jump off to break a cobweb on the floor. Perfect, succinct game design. There's still good to you know, hundred percent. And I do think, you know, the the hook shot is almost overpowered in the game, right? It was, yeah, yes, I love it. <laughs> like, it, do, it. It does everything. It kills almost everyone. You can grab almost yeah, any yeah, item. Yeah. It's completely overpowered. <laughs> Something that impressed me, and I always and I remember it. You know, and. I didn't get it during my playthrough of this game, but when I think back of those moments or items that stick out for me, it was the uh, it was the mirror shield. I think that's what it is, or the, like the reflection shield. One, yep, exactly. because it looked yeah. absolutely yeah, badass. Like it it's just so cool. looked unreal yeah. on the back of uh, Adel's Link. And two, because of what it actually did in terms of working with physics within the game of we're going to take this light source and you have the ability to shoot that source and reflect it off your shield in any direction. Like that's like, that's revolutionary right there. And it's still good now. Like I, I, I think there, there was a time maybe when I did a lot of like light bending puzzles and games, but I haven't done one in ages. I'd love, I'd love if someone tried that again, you know, did, I did one this morning in Divinity. So, <laughs> so weird. If anyone's played that, they know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a huge so thing with that. You know, uh, as I was saying, as I was saying that whole light light puzzle thing there in my head, I was like, I'll probably edit this out. There was no need to say that, but now I have to keep it in because you proved me wrong instantly. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I think is um, not often, uh, Ocarina of Time is not often credited for, and I I don't know if I'm saying this as a big Zelda fan and comparing it to other Zelda games or just games in general, but I think it's, ex- for such a big game, which is long enough, I think it's expertly paced. I think it's, I, I like it's, in terms of what you do in the overworld, how long you spend the overworld, and to when you get to your next dungeon, and the kind of upwards difficulty arc of all uh, eight or so main dungeons that are in that game and i think it, it the water temple is like extremely complicated and they're my favorite type of zelda dungeons some people might might argue that you know it's overly complicated they don't like those ones but me the big mechanical ones where you're changing the nature of the dungeon itself are my favorite ones and my least favorite ones are the ones that just feel like you're going from room to room and fighting your way through which is what i think the shadow temple is but in ocarina of time you do the water temple and then it's really complicated. And then the next time you get into a dungeon, it's the Shadow Temple. So even if I even if I think it's not quite as well designed, it's perfectly placed in the game. You know, you don't want to jump into another like overly complicated dungeon. And I don't think any Zelda game since has kind of got that pacing down. Breath of the Wild doesn't really count because you kind of create your own pace in that game. And I just kind of wanted to say that that like for I think it's about I don't know twenty hours first time. I would say longer, longer. if you get stuck. It, it's something I, I obviously I still haven't finished this playthrough, but I felt it already because um, having played you played Ghost recently and Assassin's Creed Odyssey, if Ocarina came out today, it wouldn't be a twenty-five to thirty-hour game. It'd be an eighty to hundred, hundred and twenty-hour open-world adventure um, with a bunch of filler. That's one thing I think Ocarina doesn't have very much of. It's just filler doing yeah, stuff for yeah. the sake of doing things. And I've used that sentence to now bring up something. 
that I really wanted to talk Today's about. Today's sponsor. That is the fish. Sensitive. The fishing. I, oh, no. Uh, Thank God you brought it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I love fucking, it. I, I love it. Are you hating on this? I love it. I, 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 oh, God, it made me feel so much nostalgic. I remember spending, not exaggerating, hours when I was younger just doing the fishing and setting records. I just, and like revisiting it, felt the exact same. Why'd you hate it? I, I've been on the internet, right? <laughs> Good for I'm you, buddy. you on it again. <laughs> I finally got there. But um, yeah, Zelda fans, I found, just for hanging out in Zelda places, love to fish at Ocarina of Time. I am the outlier. I am, I am the hunchback of Notre Dame. I fucking hate it. In fact, I hate any time fishing comes up in a game in general. Because I actually, it happens way more than you. Well, there was that entire expect. section in Twilight <laughs> Princess where you actually have to fish for like thirty minutes. It's actually, I actually prefer the Twilight Princess one because you there's there's no item critical things in catching fish in that one. So if I don't want to engage with it, I don't have to. Oh wait, no, it's the beginning of the game. There is exactly. There is. You yeah. know, shut me up. There is. Yeah, but Ocarina, is, uh, Marcy, as I said, I've played that game many, many times, each and every single time, because I always get everything. Um, I, I, I get to that fishing pond. I'm like, because oh, I'm still not good at it. Like, it's, I, it makes so me feel so bad rude. about myself. That I've, <laughs> do you, yeah, is it like the atmosphere? Is it, like you bring us, like, oh, it's like a warm blanket. You know what I mean? I think you just hate oh, fishing. I wish I, could, I actually like. I wish I could feel what you feel about it. Yeah, but don't you own every like, iteration of Sega's uh, Pro Bass? <laughs> <laughs> my oh my god! My secret shame. I remember getting a Sonic Adventure. <laughs> when I was a child, and be like, "Yeah, 3D Sonic," and then you get to a point where you partner you start playing as this fucker called Big the Cat, and his entire game is fishing. <laughs> I was like, "No, <laughs> curse you!" <laughs> but Marcy, I can think of the music right now, and um, depending on what time of day you go into the fishing pond in that game, it changes like the atmosphere, like leaves fall gently and stuff. So you're so correct; it is like really serene. Well done, N64 de- uh, developers. Developers, I hate it. I hate <laughs> doing it. I hate trying to catch the biggest fish. You get the fucking heart piece and the golden scale. Oh, I hate I it. I I've got it. the Hylian Loach once, which is the biggest fish in that game, and I think it was like thirteen. And I was like, I remember putting down the controller solemnly and like never again. <laughs> I've never. <done> <laughs> uh, one thing I'd love to ask. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but. Because Liam actually touched on this earlier, and I, I honestly thought Liam, you would have said the Ocarina of Time was your favorite game of all time, but you said there at the no. start, of, sorry, this chat that it's actually not. Um, not quite no. And so it's obviously a game that's regularly at the top of top under its best games of all time. Yeah. Do you like? It might be hard for me to own to answer right now, but maybe start with you, Liam. Do you think like? Do you think it, it, it's fair to call it one of the greatest games of all time, or the greatest game of all time? Well, how do you? Uh, I hate. Sorry, I'm answering your question. Your question. How do how do you two feel about that thing when a game gets really popular, like hugely popular, it inevitably gets a ton of hate? Do you ever find that? Yeah, it's yeah. I I don't think you should ever feel bad about liking something that's popular. Yeah, I think that that's such a. I don't know that that's I, that's really coming along with the internet age and just having the chance to complain about everything or going on Metacritic and just review bombard something. I. You know, it's there's nothing wrong with liking something that's really, really popular. Um, well, I know, I think, I, I think, know what you're saying, though. Yeah, I, I think Ocarina of Time is like the ultimate version of that uh, for a video game where 
it was so revered at the time. It was so built up. And for years and years and years, since 1998, it kept being like number one. Like when the internet, you know, video game culture, like it started sprouting out of the ground. Um, Ocarina of Time was always like number one in top 100 video games of all time constantly or number one, number two. And I think there, people started getting really kind of, you know, bitter towards it. Like I, I, I saw it happen, you know, growing up. I think it absolutely deserves to be in the top half of the top 100 video games of all time. But it's 1998. I think it's very comforting that we can say as good as it is, you know, you know, we've moved, we've moved on like uh, developers who are making games now uh, inevitably have learned from it. So I don't think we need to keep, you know, kind of patting it on the back. I think it's been patted on the back enough, even though for me, it'd be comfortably in my top 10 video games, but a lot of that is fueled by nostalgia and the fact that I'll probably play it within the next six months. Is there any other Zelda games in your top 10? Yes. And those would be? You're going to tell us, sir. Majora's Mask and Breath of the Wild. Top 10 just made up of Zelda games. (laughs) 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 Majora's Mask and Breath of the Wild and maybe Wind Waker. So Wind Waker is my favorite Zelda game. I I love, love that game. (laughs) And the, uh, (laughs) it's the reason why I own two Wii U's. So I get a, you know, actually play (laughs) the best version of that game. Uh, there's, it's yeah, just yeah. you know I've I've touched on it I, on this episode and uh, the last episode that we did, but you know atmosphere and uh, a world is just super important for me and something that I look in or look for in my video games. Part of the reason why I'm enjoying Final Fantasy VII so much, and even though you know Wind Waker to a certain degree is incredibly sparse, it's the feeling you get transversing that world map is just I just love it. You know, um, I fucking couldn't agree with you more. For like, I adore Wind Waker. I wasn't expecting to talk about Wind Waker on this, but um, I think that's it's emblematic of Zelda in general. Okay, like I said earlier on, like it's not really about the story it tells. It's about the world you you live in, the world you inhabit, the world you explore, and uh, all the characters you meet. And uh, Wind Waker is as good as any game I've ever played. Um, it does emptiness extremely well now, but that's one of the biggest criticisms the Wind Waker has that it's a big empty ocean and you're sailing a lot of the time and nothing much is going on. But I know you're such a tiny little boat on this big blue and your ship is creaking and the wind is going. And it's like I, a lot of games would kill for that sense of atmosphere, that just general charisma. I think a lot of, uh, sorry, a lot of Zelda games kind of have that. And I think that's why, why, why they resonate with so many people. Like we, we said earlier about, um, Hyrule Field towards the beginning of this podcast when you get out into it and it's a bit empty you were saying and I think it's by by modern day standards it's quite small for like a oh very small world yeah, map definitely. or whatever you want to call it very small very value bigger so that's fine so it doesn't take so it doesn't yeah so it doesn't take long to get to places but what, what it needed to be was just big enough to convey that sense of Link has left his home forest he's going out on this adventure and it's like, oh my god, the music kicks on. Look at this big, wide open field. And I think it kind of achieved that perfectly, you know. Same with the Great Plateau as well, because I remember when that from, yeah. when, when Brother Wild first came out, it got complaints for being a world that didn't feel lived in enough. Um, but on Wind Waker, because I've never played it, so I've only got one major question about it: Is there any fishing in it? Weirdly, no. It's the water one. It's the one with all the water, but it's mostly salt water. No interest. <laughs> never played. Do actually not. There's not actually any fishing in it. That's weird. Yeah, I thought there's like you. I, I think there's more Zelda's with fishing in it, Marth, than than without. So don't worry. 
but it was it's funny though right marcy because you played ocarina of time on a 3ds the wii u did the same they you know they revisited the game when they were remastering it so there was a uh mm. a big complaint towards the back half essentially like wind waker's unfinished really the last three yeah. you know temples mm-hmm. and vertikamas aren't actually finished and there was a fetch quest that was made incredibly arduous when you were doing it on the GameCube and they fixed it up for the Wii U version. So like the latest version I've played is the Wii U version. Um, and yeah, it, there's just, there's something just so joyous about that game. Actually, speaking of um, Zelda games being remade, um, uh, all the main 3D Zelda games um, uh, up to Twilight Princess for the first four, sorry, Skyward Sword is coming out on the Switch. That was announced recently, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, they've all been re- uh, re-released um, with all this quality of life changes and things that people don't like so much. And Marcy, I actually think the best one is Ocarina of Time. I actually think the 3DS re-release of Ocarina of Time is, is kind of just pitch perfect to re-release of it. Not much had to be changed, which is crucial, but it's still the best version of that game. Yeah, I... <laughs> I need to. I did watch a few YouTube videos of the original uh, SD4 version just to kind of help with the comparison. I I'm, I was blown away, man. Like I think I t- I sent you guys a message for the first few days after playing it. It just sounds so dumb. I was like, this is a really good game. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just like it's just a silly thing to say. Link, but, Link has a big pokey nose so, in the original one. Yeah, but big old, big old sharp. But like, and they did they did change how we I don't like the art style. I don't actually like. Yeah, I don't love the art style as much. Um, yeah, I don't one. like it. Yeah, I don't. That's man. wild. It, it gets a bit too cartoony. I think that's like anyway. No, <laughs> it's good that we disagree. But I, everything else about it is it looks sharper. Is uh, the the sound quality is still there? Um, controls wise, it's better. I would say if you were to play Ocarina now today and you'd never played it before, you should play the 3DS version or borrow one of Owen's if you can track it down i agree and if if they do re-release on the switch and there's a ton of rumors that well i don't know if it's rumors or speculation because this year is zelda's 35th year anniversary and last year was mario's and they went they they re-released a bunch of old mario games for it and so if zelda games are re-released this year i actually hope they do the 3ds remake of ocarina of time on the switch rather than another version of the n64 one personally i think some people might disagree with that I, I'd like more people to be able to play that version of the game without having to track down the 3DS, which is now. I don't want to think about it, but how old is the 3DS now? It's kind of a. No, so, Mark, you asked the valid now, question it? when we were going to do this episode is do I have access to a 3DS? I have one back in Ireland. I looked at getting a 3DS just to play this game because I said, fuck it, you know, how much is this going to cost? Tracking those things down, one, is actually quite hard enough. Um, two, they're going for an exorbitant amount of money. Are you, yeah. are you serious? Oh, yeah. game, so. I'm I'm telling you. Like I oh, wanted yeah. I'm not even a 3DS, like a 2DS. You know the like the clamshell 2D 2 yeah, that's the clamshell 2DS. That's one I have, yeah. Um yeah. which is essentially like the last iteration because like, I wasn't a massive fan of the 3D functionality on my 3DS. And I would just wanted it cheap and cheerful just to play Ocarina of Time. Those things are going for yeah, incredible amount of money. That's really irritating. I really do hope they re- that that kind of reaffirms me. I really do hope they re-release the 3DS version so people can just play it and they don't have to, you know, spend a lot of money to track it down because it's the best version of that game. And I think especially younger people who might you know struggle to play games with old graphics, you know, especially because like, I think it's easier to go back and play games 
from the 16-bit era, you know, 2D with the crisp 2D sprites, then then the N64, which is kind of, unfortunately, it's the kind of ugly stepchild of the graphic eras, you know, because it was when they were like, you know, putting it all together. So I hope they do the 3DS version, which I think is like lovely. And I'm right in saying, Liam, that the influence, the understated influence of Orcarina of Time is the actual Zelda timeline, right? You'd probably know most about this. <laughs> so, so when I was like uh, in my late teens, right? Like not a child when I was in my late teens, so I got big into um, hanging out online <laughs> and Zelda forums, right? This, these days, I don't really hang out in fandoms or anything like that. I'm like, I, I don't know, I'm just old, right? But I used to. And uh, when you're hanging out in, in places where Zelda fans are hanging out back then, like the main two things that people always did, when Zelda fans in particular always always talked about, it was hating the last Zelda game that came out, the newest one, and debating the timeline of Zelda games and how they all fit together. And in preparation, just just to have Zelda in my mind for this recording, I actually went on a Reddit uh, page called uh, or slash true Zelda, which sounds very pretentious. But the point is that it's like, don't put your fan art here. You know, this is about Zelda discussion. You know, we're talking about shit. And it warmed the cockles of my heart to see like all these years later. People are debating the timeline and hating the last Zelda. Still. <laughs> people hating Breath of the Wild on that fucking on that uh, Reddit page so much. Wow. So funny. My thing about the Zelda timeline, and I, I couldn't mean this more, is that it doesn't matter. It really, really doesn't matter. It exists. It actually officially exists now. Nintendo yeah, published like, an encyclopedia thing. Ignore yeah. it. They ignored it for years, and then they released. Well, Liam, can you just give a brief context <laughs> as to what we're actually talking about? Because it's not—it's not as straightforward as what people would think if they haven't played. So, if you've never played a Zelda game before, and you look at a big, this big nineteen-game series, what you need to know is that Zelda games aren't necessarily sequels from each other. In fact, they're often set hundreds and thousands of years apart from each other. The point that it is the the legend of Zelda is that you know. When evil comes, there'll always be a Link, there'll always be a Hyrule, or there'll always be a Zelda. <laughs> right? the, the point is, you're, you're not playing the same versions of these characters. They're, they're Incarnations. Kind of, um, yeah. Reincarnated. Yeah, reincarnated. I could go into more detail about that. I fucking won't. But, um... <laughs> Glad yeah, we did some... this at the end of the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 a lot of people just, just tuned out. Like, no, I know... It. I know. So, so some Zelda games are, are, are overtly connected to each other. Majora's Mask, for example, is a direct sequel to Ocarina of Time. It's the same link. If you play Wind Waker, it talks about the events of Ocarina of Time as history. So you can tell, oh, Wind Waker is set hundreds of years after Ocarina of Time. But what Owen is asking me is that, yes, Ocarina of, Ta- Ocarina of Time is the reason why this whole timeline is so heavily debated. Because, um, spoilers, it ends in a very timey-wimey time travel way that split the whole Zelda timeline into two things called the adult timeline and the child timeline. One where the world of peace that Link got sent back to as a reward for saving the day, and the other one, the the world he left behind that had been ravaged by Ganondorf. And each game is on one of the, each of the, <laughs> either of those timelines until about 2015, where all the games that everyone was debating online going, where does A Link to the Past go? Where does Link's Awakening go? Um, Nintendo just went... They're all in the third timeline called Link. Link died. Link failed in Ocarina of Time, and there's a third timeline. That's where all the ones that were awkward went. Such a cop out. Fuck me. But but Marcy had to be done because these because I swear to God they don't care. 
the developers don't care. And that's hard for a lot of people to hear because, you know, story is so important, but it's really not to Zelda. If anyone hasn't played a Zelda game, it's it's one thing I would emphatically um, try to get through to you is that the story doesn't matter. So play anyone you want um, and don't try and don't be kind of overwhelmed by how many of them there are because you can, they, how they connect doesn't matter. But Zelda fans will debate it till the end of this day because Breath of the Wild, um, <laughs> Breath of the Wild kind of muddied the waters again and um, people were debating where it was in the timeline and Nintendo were just like, it's set so far after all the other ones that it's set on all the oh timelines and now everyone is pissed off again. <laughs> But it it, it, it has shades debating. of shades of Metal Gear about it, right? Like if someone was to start the Metal Gear series, they'd be like, "Do you yeah. have any advice for me?" I'd be like, "Do not try to figure out the timeline of the story. But just I... play each game and enjoy them. The second yeah, one or... fucks everything up. Just <laughs> or Kingdom Hearts, through. yeah, Kingdom Hearts, or Kingdom definitely. Hearts. But yeah, yeah. But but what I will say about Kingdom Hearts and Metal Gear is that they are hugely story driven, mm. and if you have the time and the energy and ten friends. You can connect the whole story together, you know. But the point, like Zelda stories, kind of retread themselves. It's always rescuing Zelda. It's always Ganondorf. It's not always, but mostly. So I would say, don't get caught up in the timeline. I wasn't, I, you know, I didn't even think the timeline would come up in the in this talk because um, it's. But I'm glad you brought it up because it's one of the things I, I like to talk about in Zelda, where it, I, I hate it and it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. If another Zelda game is referenced in the one you're playing. It won't be important. You'll either get it or you won't, but it won't change anything. Did you know that the sales of Ocarina's skyrocketed post the release of Zelda Ocarina of Time? We, I did. Are you asking me? I, I don't know. Because of, I was going to actually bring up another fact. That's really cool. Um, I didn't know that. That's class. And this is for you guys, not for me, because I'm, I'm not a big fan of the show. But Miyamoto said that Twin Peaks was a massive influence for him. Um, regards to writing out and building out the characters of the Ocarina of Time, of, uh, kind of how the the main protagonist interacts with side characters who were still very very real written, written and and very fully realized, but he he cited that yeah, uh, David Lynch's Twin Peaks. Hundred percent. You've just besieged me with two facts. I didn't well, to know. be honest, I don't know if mine was real. I was just trying it out there, but I'm a <laughs> I'm a colossal. Twin Peaks fans, as, as the two of you know, and and going through the certain towns and meeting those certain characters, like one hundred percent, it it rings true of all of the side characters of of Twin Peaks. Everyone just has that bit of oddness, um, and off they're all a bit off kilter, you know. Do you know what I'd compare Zelda to? Shawshank Redemption. This is really Superman. Oh, okay. please continue. <laughs> I think Link, Link is the Superman of the of the video game industry, where he's just good, right? And inhabiting him and playing a Zelda game means that you are playing as someone who he might have different person. He might have like he might be characterized differently. Like Wind Waker, Link is goofy. You know, Majora's Mask, Link is a bit more you know stoic. But you're playing as someone who is inherently good courageous he wields the triforce of courage often he's capable he's kind and that's what the main storytelling for me is in a zelda game is that you are being a hero and that's usually corny but i think it's the older i get the more that resonates with me that you're just playing as a good little boy <laughs> running around, <laughs> it's, running true. around. It's, it's true it's the good yeah. just the old good versus evil it, is. And it works 
really, really well. It, it really does. But like, I don't want to dwell on this now because it's something I'm, I might want to talk about later. But I think, despite that simplicity, some Zelda games have exceptional um, storytelling that can only be done so in a video game. I have a question, a right? Tease. It's it's public Go knowledge on. now that Netflix was developing a animation series for Zelda. Yeah, I, yeah, heard that. Does that work? And can it? I don't think it can. Because for you know, for people who don't well, know Zelda, Zelda like, I read Zelda Link. Link. So you know, if you've never played Zelda before, like Zelda isn't the character that you're playing as. You know, you're generally playing as Link, the fucking fairy forest boy, but he's a silent protagonist. <laughs> yes. That's one problem, but another massive problem is the main theme of what we've been talking about. That's not really story driven. So that's why, yeah, I agree. I, that that's why I don't think it would work. But there there was an eighties Zelda cartoon. It was worth bringing up. It was trash, but it's 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 so bad. Incredibly fascinating to kind of go back and look at. He had a catchphrase. I'm not going to do it. But you, um, you have to do it. What's the catchphrase? We can edit it. Excuse me, oh princess. God. That took very little prodding. <laughs> I can't say with it. <laughs> But uh, but I I'm glad I I'm glad. I think Nintendo shelved it. I don't know. Oh, is that the word on the, the web? That like, Nintendo yeah, or something. I the, remember the, kind of actually what happened from the latest that I've read, and from my inside sources, is that when the project became public, they shelved it. That they actually didn't want oh, they yeah, yeah. Uh, they didn't want the heat and they didn't want the media attention for it. So they. But I'm glad. I'm actually glad because I don't think it would work. I don't. I don't know why, but I think Ganondorf is still one of you know the greatest villains of all time in video game history, even though he doesn't necessarily appear a lot in the game. I think that's it's key to it. When you see yes. him in the early bits of the game, you get these little when you're in the castle with Zelda and you look through the little you know the window slit and you see him and for the first you that, time. He gives you I that think look. He's so menacing and but that note, when that you're, as well. When you're in when you're adult link and you're in a seven years later version of hyrule and all the places you visit aren't you know doing so well anymore long on a ranch is in disarray it's been owned by a shithead you know um all the gorons have been captured uh, zora's river has been frozen over that's ganondorf so he's not necessarily his presence you know, is felt without well actually villain, but he, you know exactly and that's another really good way to do kind of a, a villain in a kind of a shorthand through the gameplay kind of way that only um, a game could do by the time you're facing at the end of the game it feels epic it feels you know and the other thing and my you know final sign off would be you know what adds to that epicness is probably something that i hadn't felt in a a video game around that time was a real connection to another character and that character was actually epona um and first a good video game horse (laughs) And you know, it's it, you, you might laugh, but it's a big talking point about you know what is the best horse mechanics in video games these days because so many of them have it. But you know, apart from um, you know, what's a uh, what's our Colossus game, Liam? That the name is Shadow of the Colossus. Shadow you know, of the Colossus. Uh, <laughs> apart from you know your connection to the horse in that game, there's just some uh, a journey that you go on with Epona and Orcarina of Time that was just mind-blowing. Um, and, it, you know, it counts for it's it's one of the constants. You know, there's, apart from you, the, you know, the representation of the sages, 
Epona is one of the constants from your childhood link to your adulthood link. And you truly feel like you're going on this adventure together. And and like I spoke at the very beginning, the the atmosphere set up for the game was in that title screen and Epona's right there with you. And that was just purely yeah, epic. Very good purely points. epic. Yeah. You, you, you meet Epona in the ranch, don't you, when you're a kid? And yes. then yeah. And and Epona and hates you. Of course. And it's not until you yeah. learn Epona's song that you know you you mm. play it on your ocarina and mm. form this connection. Um, and then, like later, you know, when you go back, you essentially win her, um, and you know she's on that journey with you, and uh, incredibly emotional for for a game of the of that yeah. time. And of course, there's that scene at the end, you know, where you Link saves the world, kills Ganondorf, and you got to jump over the moat, and Epona actually breaks her leg. And yeah. of course, you have to actually put her down, um, which is with it's the slingshot. Z target her first. Yeah. yeah and you uh, repeatedly hit her with yeah. the uh, hook shot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I used the stick. <laughs> you know, before we wrap up, you know, I want to just uh, thank all of our listeners mm-hmm. who have been tuning in throughout the previous six episodes. And if you've made it to episode seven, we're super, super grateful the numbers and the feedback that we've been getting, you know, it's been, I think, heartwarming actually. And, you know, it's making us, we're super excited every time that we get together to, to record this podcast. Not only do we love doing it amongst ourselves, but I know from my side, I've had, you know, friends, family reach out who, who, uh, who I wouldn't think would be listening and want to be part of that discussion. Um, so, you know, thank you to everyone who has listened so far. And of course, you know, we love when people, subscribe you know rate us on itunes you know do what you can follow us on spotify you know every uh every subscription or like is is very appreciated and is helping uh, grow this show so thank you to everyone who has listened so far yeah thank you so much everyone and uh thank you guys i actually really enjoyed this one because obviously i was really looking forward to talking about um ocarina of time because i think it's lovely don't i you do and can i just say thank you to um our one listener in, in Italy um, who has just been such a devoted and passionate fan. Um, just a personal <laughs> thanks from me to, to that one person in, in, in Italy. <laughs> okay, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to Hey Look, Listen again. I was Liam Sheehan. I was joined here by Jonathan Marcy. Goodbye. Yeah. And thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Jesus Christ. <laughs>